0: Hey, hey, it's your host, Tish. I have a question from a listener who wanted to know what struggles did you face when you decided to get sober? I loved this question so much, I decided that it needed its own episode. So be sure to listen in because that's exactly what I'm going to answer today on the Your Shining Self podcast. You are listening to the Your Shining Self podcast for women who need messages of hope, love, and transformation. And now, your host, Tish. So today, I am doing a solo episode. And I am going to answer a listener question. So the question is, what struggles did you face when you decided to get soap? And oh my goodness, let me just say that I love this question because in the past, when I talk about, you know, my sobriety journey and my struggles with alcoholism, I tend to go from point A to point B without talking about anything in between or anything back at that beginning. So I love that this question was asked because it's not something that I've really talked about before. So um, I am just going to jump right in and I narrowed it down to three of the top struggles that I faced when I decided to get sober. So the first one is small town living. (laughs) Now to give you an idea of what I'm talking about when I say small town living, I'm from northern Michigan originally and to give you an idea of small town, when I graduated many, many, many moons ago, <laughs> there were, I think there was 21 kids in my class or like 19 of us. I don't remember because it's been so long. A kindergarten through 12th grade is in one building. Now that should kind of give you an idea of what I mean when I'm talking about small town living. So the reason that small town living was, um, You know, one of the main struggles that I faced when getting sober is because it was all about the environment and the people. Now, I am in no ways whatsoever bashing the people that I used to hang out with. I still am in contact with several of them, actually. I still think of them as friends. Um, so again, not bashing those people at all. But the problem that I had was because these people were so ingrained in my life and these were, um, you know, like a group of people that I did all my drinking with, it was it was really hard to stay in that same environment without, um, you know, having to pull myself away from that group of people. And when you're in a small town, it's really hard to pull away from a group of people that you're hanging out with. And um, it's also challenging, at least for me, I can obviously only speak for myself. It was, you know, challenging to want to get and stay sober in small town northern michigan because so much of everything that i did was centered around drinking so that was one of the first challenges just the environment and the people so um the second struggle that i faced when i decided to get sober is the itty bitty shitty now what do i mean when i say itty bitty shitty committee so when i refer to itty bitty shitty committee I'm actually talking about my self-talk, the internal dialogue, the things that I told myself. So, oh my gosh, like the first three, the first three months for sure, maybe even into like the first six months, even the first year, like that itty bitty shitty committee was like coming at me full force. It was doing anything and everything to convince me that I was not an alcoholic and I did not have a drinking problem. So one of the things when I very first went into AA was there was absolutely no doubt, no question, no nothing in my mind that I was an alcoholic. I I mean, there was just no question. But, you know, once I started going through the process of staying away from the alcohol and not drinking and, you know, pulling away from, um, like, events and people that I hung out with, like, I really began to question, am I really an alcoholic? And now, you know, sober for seven plus years now, looking back, of course, hindsight is twenty twenty. that was obviously just my disease talking. Um, you know, the disease wants me to stay sick. The disease wants me to stay active in my alcoholism and my drinking. So looking back now, you know, I know that that's what that was. But oh my gosh, like I just so many different times I had myself convinced that I really was not an alcoholic and that I could drink quote unquote, normally. Now, when I say normally, I'm referring to like somebody that can go out to dinner or lunch and have one glass of wine or one beer. Um, that, that's what I would refer to as a normal drinker. Um, I don't really know that there's normal when it comes to drinking. I don't know. Um, but yeah, it just like that inner voice, it just never wanted to shut up. And thank God that I just kept taking my ass back to the meetings, meeting with my sponsor, reaching out to, you know, the women that I was building um, a strong friendship with and a a solid sober foundation with these women. And I just, I kept hanging on like by the hair on my chin. I don't know. Um, But yeah, just making sure that I was fully immersed in being around these women, putting my um, ass in a chair, you know, at a meeting, um, things like that was so important in helping me to remain sober back in that beginning when that, um, you know, that negative self-talk was so prevalent and trying to convince me that I didn't have a drinking problem and that I could be drinking normally. So, um, you know, I, I kind of got that, I don't want to say resolved, but I kind of came to terms with it, came to grips with it, and was able to quiet it down a little bit. Um, And then right before my two year sober anniversary, I was actually one month and six days away from celebrating two years sobriety, I ended up relapsing. Now, if you know anything about AA or you've heard me talk about it before, we always talk about a relapse doesn't happen The moment that you pick up the drink, a relapse happens before you actually pick up a drink, it starts in your head. So going back to the beginning, when I have this itty bitty shitty committee convincing me that you know, I'm not an alcoholic and I can drink normally this is what is has come up um, in my life again at this time. So what had happened was I had some friends from out of town who had reached out to me. They let me know that they were coming into town and they invited to invited me to meet them at the bar. Okay, so red flag (laughs) right there to meet them at the bar. I should have known that Even the fact that I had considered wanting to be in a bar, that should have been like a red flag right there. Another red flag should have been the fact that I knew about this for like two, three weeks, heck, maybe even a month, and I never once considered sharing it with the women in my circle or my sponsor and you know again they say hindsight is 2020 looking back that is obviously a huge red flag so i'm you know entertaining this idea of meeting them at the bar and again i have this inner struggle going on like i have come to grips by this point in my sobriety again remember this is almost 2 years in my um so ugh, sobriety journey so I'd come to grips with the fact that there really is no question that I am an alcoholic. I mean, the cravings and everything over the course of the last couple of years had been really difficult. Um, and then I just started letting all that, that inner talk convince me once again that I could go to this bar, I could have one drink. And I would be fine because I wasn't an alcoholic. I didn't have a drinking problem. And oh my gosh, it was just, it was not good. And you know, the one thing that I'm so, I've had a really hard time forgiving myself for this is I lied to my son that entire night that I ended up at the bar. Um, You know, here is my 15, 16 year old son. I believe he was 16 because I believe he was driving at that time. And, you know, here he is telling me, Mom, I don't think it's a good idea that you go to the bar. And I was like, No, no, I'll be okay. You know, I'm not going to drink. Um, I'll be checking in with you throughout the night. And he was texting me several times throughout the night. And of course, you know, I was lying to him telling him that I wasn't drinking when I really was. So let me backtrack a little bit. Um, I get to the bar, I get come to the table where the group of friends are, and for the first 15 to 20 minutes, guess what the conversation is all about. (laughs) The conversation is all about the fact that I'm an alcoholic. I have been in AA for almost two years. I am coming up on my two-year sobriety anniversary, and it just went downhill from there so the first 15 to 20 minutes that's what the conversation you know revolved around was my alcoholism my sobriety and my almost two-year anniversary um fast forward to probably 15 20 minutes later i am um you know, I'm watching everybody drink, I'm I'm smelling drinks. So that's one of the things that is probably problematic, but I've done it uh, many times over the years of, you know, my journey is if I'm around somebody that is drinking, I like to smell the drink. <laughs> and I can't explain why I do that because it ends up being a little bit of torture sometimes. But I remember um, a friend was drinking a fruity drink, which I used to love drinking fruity drinks, and I smelt it and immediately I was like, yep, I'm ordering a drink. And I ordered that first drink and I still, it is literally like it happened yesterday. That very first sip of alcohol, as soon as it touched my lips, I could not quench that craving fast enough. By the time that waitress had sat, sat that first drink down, I had taken that first sip and she was walking away, I was ordering my second drink. There was a couple times that I was, you know, double fisting um, my drinks because I needed to have that, that alcohol um, just so readily available. And long story short, uh, I continued drinking through the night. I drove again, drunk. Uh, how I did not get arrested is beyond me because there was a cop that followed me from the town that I was in to the town that I was going to. He actually walked into the bar behind me and was talking to the new group of people that I had went to a different bar to meet. Again, (laughs) small town northern Michigan living. You, You don't really understand it unless you uh, are there living it? So it wasn't uncommon that, you know, the cop had walked into. Well, I don't want to say it wasn't uncommon because it wasn't common that cops did that. But the fact that he walked in and was talking to, you know, the group of people that I was with and I wasn't arrested is, again, small town living. <laughs> um, the bartender would not serve me though. So I was a little bit pissed about that. Um, and again, you know, thinking back, probably a damn good thing that the bartender wasn't serving me and I had no right being behind a vehicle driving. Uh, but I did it. And, um, like the, after the bar closes, I end up going back to a friend's house to her and her husband's house. And, uh, my son ended up being there. My son was friends with, you know, one of their, one of their kids. And, um, Obviously that night I'm super drunk and it was another one of my blackout um, episodes and before getting sober those were very common. That's what was happening often. So anyways I wake up the next morning and I immediately go into damage control wondering what my son saw, what my son heard and going to my son and, uh, you know, telling him that I need to apologize to him for lying to him about, you know, drinking when I was at the bar and then wanting to apologize for anything that he had witnessed, um, you know, the previous night, anything I had said, anything I had done. And to this day, we still do not talk about what happened that night. So I don't know what he saw, what, um, you know, what I did, anything that I said. Uh, but I, I just remember my son, um, you know, he rolled over cause he was in bed and he just, uh, kind of pulled the cover back from his face. And, you know, he just looked at me and he said, mom, you don't owe me an apology. You need to apologize to yourself and you need to call your sponsor. And I mean, if that says anything about the fact that a 16 year old child knows to say that to his mother, but yeah, I mean, he was just immersed in my alcoholic ways for so long that he knew that that's what I needed to do. So, I did. I called my sponsor, got right back into a meeting, and I am one of the lucky ones because a lot of people that relapse and go back out and drink, they do not walk back through those doors. So, I consider myself very fortunate that I was only out for 24 hours. And then I had my ass right back in the program. And it sounds really cliche to say, but that relapse is exactly what I needed because that's when I finally got my shit together and my head on straight and realized, holy shit, this is just a matter of life and death. This isn't, I mean, this isn't a game. It's really a matter of life or death. Um, So that is what happened with, um, you know, the second struggle that I faced when I decided to get sober and that itty bitty shitty committee and all of the, um, you know, self-talk convincing me that I wasn't an alcoholic and I could drink quote unquote normally. Okay, so the third thing, which kind of ties into the second thing, the third thing that I struggled with when I decided to get sober was socialization. So at that point in my life, I loved to be in atmospheres with people. I loved being at bars because I loved the music. Um, If I was drunk, I loved dancing. (laughs) I loved to bowl and be on like teams and around people. Or if I wasn't bowling, I liked to be at the bowling alley when a group of people um, my friends were bowling because obviously I was drinking as they were bowling. Um, h- hanging out with friends and having bonfires. Like that was all stuff that I loved to do. I was very social and just loved being around people. Um, of course, again, they say hindsight is twenty twenty. Looking back, it's because I didn't know how to be alone with myself. But that's a story for a different day. So I still was you know, here I am, I'm, I'm sober now. I'm struggling with, um, staying sober, working on myself, uh, you know, peeling the onion layers. Cause that's what we referred to. It was once you peel one layer, there's another layer that comes up that you have to peel and work on that. So here I am that you know, working on all that and um, trying to rebuild my life and rebuild relationships and rebuild my business. And at the same time, there's again, this one, it was still an inner struggle, but there's this struggle of, okay, I want to be sober. And I still want to do all those fun things. I still want to bowl. I still want to play softball. I still want to have bonfires. um, You know, I still want to dance, but I didn't know how to do any of that without alcohol. Alcohol was always like my liquid courage. When I had alcohol in my system, I felt like Wonder Woman. Like I felt like I could do anything. And once that alcohol was taken away, I suddenly didn't know how to do any of that stuff anymore. And then the interesting thing was um, you know the more I worked on myself and learned who I really was, like the authentic me, who Tisha really is, I, I started to realize that some of those things that I thought that I loved I actually didn't even like. <laughs> so you know that was really interesting. Um, like the whole socialization thing, like one of the things that I found out that was really important for me was to make sure that I was immersed in the recovery community and um, doing things in the recovery community where there wasn't alcohol involved. Because there were times that I still did do things with um, like groups of people that drank and it, that was just that much more challenging. When I socialized with groups of people from the recovery community, it was a hell of a lot easier because we didn't have alcohol. So, um, you know, like the whole socialization aspect for me, it just ended up being a matter of finding the, you know, the quote unquote safe community to hang out with, which when I say safe for me, that was like the recovery community. And, um, you know, interestingly, it took me years before I felt comfortable dancing as a sober person. And that just seems really weird to me. Like, I mean, I love dancing. Why why can't I do that, you know, sober? Well, it boiled down to the fact that I was too worried about what other people thought and if I was drunk, who freaking cared? Um, but yeah, so um, you know, just kind of to wrap up the three things, and again, there was way more things that I struggled with when I decided to get sober, but I wanted to, you know, kind of um, narrow it down to the top three things that I felt like were the biggest issues for me was small town living because of the environment and the people and two, the itty bitty shitty community, Yeah, the itty bitty shitty committee AKA my inner self-talk. And number three was socializing and still wanting to have all the fun without the alcohol. So I hope that you enjoyed today's episode. I love that um, it was a listener that submitted the question. And if you ever have any questions that you want me to answer on air, go ahead and just, you know, submit that question to me. You can find the contact information over at ShiningSelf.com. That's a wrap for today's episode of the Your Shining Self podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a comment and share with others that need a message of hope, love and transformation. Yeah.